welcome to Comically Pedantic, where we take a detailed look at the complicated concepts and characters and history of comic book culture. I am one of two hosts that normally doesn't do this intro. It's me, it's Corinne Levy. And uh, I have number two of two hosts is Derek. <laughs> Yay! I love, I love how often you are surprised whenever the, the music comes on. Here's the thing. Okay, so it starts off with that big, like... The boom. Boosh. The bass, or whatever. The boosh. And I don't see when you're going to hit the button. So I'm I wish there was a way that we could show each other what we're doing. I mean, you could do, like, five, four, three, two, one, but I also don't want you to do it because <laughs> it keeps me on my tootsies. So that's all it's right. It's funny because, like, on my end, I see pretty much everything. You know, that's and because you're the main host. <laughs> it's I don't want to see all the other buttons. I want to be surprised. <laughs> one day um, I'm. It's gonna be like a Russian roulette of like, one day we won't play the actual intro. It'll just be like the Spanish flea song. Have you ever heard that song? Yeah, someone earlier today was actually just uh, talking about it. They they we have so we have like a dog that comes by at work. And everyone's in love with this dog. It's a big um, Rottweiler. And uh, he's very cute. So they were saying whenever he comes by, we need to have like a theme song to play. And someone was like, you should play the the Spanish. uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's my internal theme song. I love it. Um, But would you say that this dog is your bright spot? Or do oh, you have you? a different bright spot? Segway. Beow, beow, beow. I have. What's your bright spot? <laughs> so I actually was thinking about it before we came here. So because I did not want to be blindsided by this question, even though I know it comes every week, and every week I'm always surprised by it. I um, was able to talk to Austin. Uh, her birthday is coming up in about a month, and I was trying to be on top of making sure. I have this weird habit of buying things for Austin about a month or two in advance. But because they're always weird and niche things, they come either right on time or late, even though I'm on top of it all the time. So I was trying to come up with something that would be a little bit fun for us to go do. I mean, you know, for Valentine's Day, I got her the PlayStation 5. So, uh, I felt like maybe stepping outside of the realm of buying a gift and instead doing like an event together. Yeah. Like going, doing an experience. Right. Uh, Mm. So I actually found something and I ran it. I know it's like a month early for her birthday, but I wanted to run it by her and make sure it was something that she was comfortable with doing, that it fit in with something that she wanted to do and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Uh, So I, I got us tickets to go see one of her favorite bands. Um, Manchester Orchestra and yeah. Jimmy Eat World. Uh, I got her the VIP ticket. So it comes, we're going to get like a vinyl and like a t shirt and like a, a, oh. a poster, like all this, all this extra stuff. That's and it's so in cool. Central Park, which is also, I've never been to a concert in Central Park. So I think that part's going to be fun too. That's very cool. I've never been to Central Park. Yeah. There's apparently like a stadium. I've never seen it, but there's, <laughs> there's like a little stadium inside where they, they do shows. So I'm very excited about it. That's awesome. 
I, mm, I'm excited for you. I love concerts. What a time to be alive. Yeah, and I recently started listening to Manchester Orchestra. Like, I liked them uh, to an extent. Well, now you have um, time to, like, get to know what might come up. Yeah, like, I'm... I, it was sort of the same with, like, the Front Bottoms. I know you guys went to go see the Front Bottoms. I, yes, we did. I had, like, <laughs> recently started to really enjoy them. Like, to the point where I was, like, cleaning the house one day, and I put on, like, a, a, the Front Bottoms playlist, where it wasn't just the Front Bottoms, but it was, like, music-like the Front Yeah, bottoms. it's the radio. Right. And uh, Austin came home and was like, why are you listening to this? And I was like, I like it, too. It's just, well, like, Well, because not- here's the thing. Like... With the front bottoms in particular. Now, I like them from the sense of, like, when I was towards the end of high school, very beginning of college, I needed the front bottoms. (laughs) And for those of you who may not know, uh, the front bottoms is a band. They're originated in New Jersey, and they are very sad. (laughs) And they yell a lot. Well, they kind of have, like, this yelly vocal to them. Um, And they're just angsty and depressed. (laughs) And there's always a point in your life when you need them, and they are there for you. And I have since come out of my depresso hole, (laughs) my depresso mode, and I listen to them as though looking back fondly in the past and being like, wow, I've grown. Um, <laughs> and cause so, and also sometimes you just need to yell a song. And those are ones that are very good to just passionately yell as you're driving on a highway. Um, so I, have, I think I more often was just concerned for your mental health. No, when- no, no. You, you can tell if I'm not feeling well mentally, my like comfort music, what I what I go back to, it's all it's all like heavy metal. Uh, so I, I listen to a lot of that when I'm mm-hmm. not in a great mood. I uh, don't think I can listen to like I I will find a reason to like any genre. Unfortunately, I physically just cannot listen to heavy metal. It calms Be- me down. I, I, I understand. Like to some yeah, people, it makes them anxious and things like that. But for me, it's a very calming thing. Uh, it's not even that it makes me anxious. It just actually, like, it hits a, a nerve in my body <laughs> that just makes me feel, like, irritable. I get you. Like, it just, I'm like, I don't enunciate. <laughs> my my happy music is ska. I, like, if, I'm, if I'm in a good mood and I'm, I'm picking something, it's going to be a lot of ska music to the point mm. where I get, I get made fun of quite a bit. <laughs> uh, but besides all of that, what is your bright spot? Oh, uh, I don't know. See, you get blindsided just as much as I do. I, I know, because it forces me to look at what I've done. Because <laughs> um, I've just been busy. But, um, no, Max is, no, we had a good weekend. Max and I had a good weekend. I took him out to a nice dinner on Monday because that was his birthday. Um, and I also, we, for his birthday, were doing an event uh, kind of like you guys. It's a little after his birthday. I got tickets for 
us and then some friends to go to a renaissance fair. I have never been. Max has never been. But the friends that are coming with us have been to one before. So it's like just like a good way to like see some people and do a cool thing. So we're very excited for that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just had a nice, like, calming weekend. And I was like, it feels nice to just sit down sometimes. <laughs> I uh, I can definitely agree with that. Like, I mean, I I finished the book that I was, uh, I brought up, I think, one of the last episodes that we, re- that we recorded. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about, like, I was, like, halfway through a book. And it unfortunately had a very, for me, frustrating ending that I did not like to the point where like, it's a, it's a part of a trilogy. And I was like, I'm good here. <laughs> right. But the, the, the fun part of sitting down and reading and like just decompressing while doing that, that I very much enjoyed as much as I didn't like the ending of the book. I, I enjoyed every other aspect of reading the book. I so, get that. Yeah. I think that's honestly like for a lot of, the reading that we had to, that I had to do for this episode, I felt like that. So it's like, I'm just going to sit and read. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, cool, I'm sitting and reading. And like, it just felt good to do that activity. Yeah. Um, we'll get into how I felt about the <laughs> plots and everything, <laughs> but it is just nice to sit and read sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what this whole podcast is about in the end. Anyway, <laughs> This is just me forcing you to be part of my very strange book club. Yeah. And it's only the two of us in it. Yes. So, okay. Well, what do you think... If you were to... uh, So, if we were going to sum up the Clone Saga prior to the start of what we are going to be covering today. Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about, like, the plot elements of everything. But if you wanted to like like if there was a through line, do you think the can you pick one out? Because I feel like uh other just other than Ben being there and being part of Peter's life, there is nothing. It, it is all over the place. Do you do you think that there is like something that you can like grab onto and be like, here's a theme that we're going with, or here's anything that is like bringing the plot along? Other than Ben. Because Ben Riley has a theme, and that is the self-identity journey. Mm -hmm. And just, like, being okay with being Ben. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, like, no, because it just feels like everything keeps restarting. Like, with Peter, it feels like very much the whole point is, like, you know, Mary Jane is going to be having a baby they're married in this like universe. So it's like everyone talks about how they have a strong marriage and like he needs to be there for her even though he's like having a hard time, but that there's never a follow through. It's a lot of just like saying and doing and then it just keeps refreshing of like oh, like Peter's so great, but I wish he were here and then like at the very end he might be like I'm here for a second, but then he immediately keeps leaving. So it's like that's Almost like a wannabe theme, but it keeps not progressing. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that. I, we have like a weird thing where we have like two protagonists 
And um, one of them has a very clear uh, character arc mm-hmm. to, to, to go on. And the other one, it felt like the character arc that they put Peter on, at least, was to get back to some semblance of normal. Well, I think it was kind of this thing of, like, it seems almost like they're giving you, like, one side that is, like, actual character progression and the other one that is just strictly monster of the week, but they're doing it at the same time, and it's supposed to be, like, you would think that should be just one character, but they've split it into two, and it just doesn't feel super cohesive. No, that's, wow, that, that is actually, that's a very succinct way of putting it. (laughs) <laughs> I was trying to think this morning, like, what the fuck? Like, what is, the, what, what are we doing what, during this saga? And that's the only way really to sum it up that I can think of. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing is just like, mm, like the big theme is just like clones. And there like, are a fuckload of them. Well, and the thing is like, I don't know if that, I'm starting to wonder if that really can be a theme of its own because I just feel like that. I don't know if it's just because we're reading it in today's time, but to me, the clones theme seems just very much like multiverse theme because with a multiverse, you have like the same people but they're doing different things and it's because they're in different universes. And now we just have the same person multiple times, but they're doing different things because they're clones. And this, I it, feel like because we're reading it now, because like the Marvel MCU and like now maybe the DCU is just like very multiverse saturated. I yeah. am personally feeling tired. <laughs> and i want something different and i thought that it would i'm like i'm hoping that it'll be different because like it the word is clones but it's almost like my brain is like this is just multiverse stuff i feel like we have we have with you you were saying it's not really like a theme and it's more like it's it's a motif we have a pattern that we're going through but there's nothing to to Nothing, it's not holding the story. It's just there. Well, Uh, it's kind of just like, well, it's getting, it's, it was very comic booky before and because it's a comic book, but now it's feeling very soap opera. And we'll get into that because we like learn a lot this like episode. Um, And it just starts to feel like this is a fucking soap opera. And if I wanted to watch a soap opera, I would watch General Hospital. <laughs> okay, so let's let's start then with this story. Yes, okay. that we're doing uh, for this this episode. Yeah, so this is um, the trial of Peter Parker. That's this whole storyline, and we're going to start with Web of Spider Man number one twenty six. It's called Opening Statements, also known as like Part One of the trial of peter parker um is written by todd dezago the penciler is roy burdine and then we have inker randy eberlin letterer susan crespi i really like the last name crespi um the colorist is kevin tinsley and then the editors are eric fine and danny fingeroth uh they 
they still be chilling here. So this was a pretty quick read. I thought, so like, because I knew that it was going to be like very trial based, I thought it was going to be kind of like a courtroom drama. Um, or like a kind Daredevil of like, kind of story. I guess. I don't know. I've never read Daredevil. But like, I've read a lot of James Patterson, which is okay. crime thrillers. And there's always multiple scenes in a courtroom, you know, with the DA and like all that stuff. And those scenes, you know, I don't usually like look forward to them. But then I'm always really interested because they have like these really great like speeches from the lawyers or the if they have these really like interesting like witness like cross witnessing like and or like something like you know dramatic happens in the courthouse or like whatever so like I've had my fair share of trial scenes in my reading days so um but this kind of shocked me like a little bit it was just like it was a lot quicker of a read than I thought it would be just kind of overall. But so here we go. Web of Spider-Man number 126. It starts off like it's a normal like Spider-Man comic. Uh, It just opens with Spider-Man and Kane fighting um, because Spider-Man wants to beat a confession out of Kane. And we all know that that is because that like Kane has like framed Ben Riley for murder, but it's not Ben who got caught, it's Peter, because Ben has never really been on the grid. We all know this already. I just feel I have to repeat myself because the comic repeats itself. Well, I I have a question here. Mm -hmm. Is is there an explanation of how Peter found Cain? No. He he just he just found him. Okay. It just he was looking for him. I mean, look, and then if you- I'm happy with that. Like, that that's that's totally fine. We can start in media res with that. I was just curious uh, because there's a lot of stuff within these comics where uh, it would... They go to, like, weird details to explain some stuff and then don't explain other things. And I'm kind of curious as to what is explained and what's not. This was more of a coincidence run-in, great opportunity kind of thing. But, like, Spider-Man was looking for him right. because like here's the other thing is like we i think like generally the writers want us to feel like spider-man supports ben and like is there for ben and really appreciates what ben does but he still makes like weird comments like ben's messed up my life like but it's like he offered to trade places with you like in prison <laughs> And also, yeah. like, he found a doctor for your wife. <laughs> right. Chill out. So, like, that's kind of, like, a thing that still happens. But he's, he is actively trying to get Ben out of this situation because he knows now that he's, like, an innocent man. That is, like, a theme that happens a lot in the storyline. Right. Okay. So now we're going to go to the court ha- courthouse. <laughs> to court Hirsch. Um, we're going to the courthouse and it's pretty much just like the, the district attorney gives his opening statement for the trial of Peter Parker. It, um, is kind of just like the most blanketed opening statement that a district attorney could ever make. Um, it's not super like flourishy. 
or like, you know, super gripping. It's kind of just like the bare minimum of an opening statement right. or an yeah. opening argument. And I was like, so I like, I went through that pretty fast. Um, and then it just goes back to Spider-Man and Kane fighting. Kane, as they're fighting, is progressively becoming like a little more unhinged. He's monologuing a lot. Um, he's very clearly at this point, uh, he doesn't want to like kill Spider-Man, but he's very upset with the fact that like Spider-Man is trying to help Ben Riley, and obviously like he doesn't want to confess to like his murders and stuff. Um, it's also very apparent that like Kane does know. I don't know if it was ever explicitly said before, but like I guess Kane does know that like Ben Riley switched places with Peter. Okay. Yeah, that's actually interesting. I don't know if that's I don't been remember the that's... point because I read the part where like Ben switches for him. Yeah. But I don't remember a point at the end of that scene being like Kane lurks in the shadows. And maybe it's just because I read it a I mean, while ago and I don't remember it. So it's like, are we just supposed to assume that? I don't know. That's one thing I maybe would have. I don't know. But I also could just be misremembering. Who's to say? But he does know. So that's just a thing that will be important. Um, so now we're going to go back to the outside of the courthouse now. Uh, Detective Raven and Stunner, they are basically doing a stakeout because they're waiting for Kane. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, of course the murderer is going to go to the funeral of the person they killed. It's kind of like Kane would, of course, show up at the courthouse because he wants to see, you know, right. Peter Parker get caught, whatever. Um, but they hear from a police monitor that there is a fight uh, between Spider-Man and this like incredibly pow- empowered like person or whatever, and they're like, "That's probably Kane. We should go." So then they go. Um, do 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 do. Where do do do? My brain caught on fire. Okay. Um. We very briefly hear the defense's opening statement. Again, it's the most blanketed defense statement. <laughs> it's just like, be a good jury. And it's like, okay. I'm betting I'm time. betting the writers for this just they as much as like they were setting up a trial, I don't think they really cared about the trial part of it. Well, and I think it's also like just the way it's you can clearly tell that they don't have a whole lot making these murders interesting. Right. Because the whole point of like a lot of trial scenes is you learn about, you know, the context of the murders and like all of this stuff. But it was like, okay, a bunch of super like supervillains got murdered and they have a weird thing on their face. Let's yeah. blame this guy. It's like <sighs> I feel like the trial just made it very apparent that like these murders are kind of boring. <laughs> and like it feels weird to be like murder is boring, but I have read a lot of crime thrillers and there are some very like, you know, gripping crimes. <laughs> well, I, and I feel like there's a way to write this, even if it's like a boring crime to have the trial of it. Interesting. You yeah. Know? And it just, it just felt very generic and that's fine. I guess. 
We're going back to the fight with Spider-Man. He looks like he's like down on the ground, but he's picking himself back up because he's like, I got so much respect for Ben. I got to do it for Ben. Um, eventually the fight like leads to outside of where they were. And this now has like stunner come into like, you know, the intersect. So she meets up with them and she is like totally ready to just like annihilate Kane. Cause if you don't remember stunner is Dr. Octopus's now widow, I guess. Um, and so she's very grief stricken. She wants revenge. Uh, so she wants to punch Kane's face in with her very strong fists. But she doesn't even get the opportunity to see Kane because suddenly, um, freaking Judas Traveler just shows up. Oh, everyone's favorite. And he's like, I need you, Kane, and I need you, Spider Man. And he just freaking grabs them and teleports away, and it just leaving Stunner behind in this alley. And I feel I was like my like, eyes wow, couldn't that's roll super- harder. <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly like, when I was reading it, because I didn't know what was to come, obviously, I was really right. mad because I was like, dang, they have this strong female character. I wanted to see her fight this, like, strong man. Right. And I wanted it to be, like, the Lord of the Rings thing where it's like, no man can kill me, no. and then a woman kills him, and it's like, yeah! <laughs> um, yeah. But they just poofed away. And I was like, dang, you should be doing more with this other character. But they didn't I'm, do it in I'm this issue. I'm just genuinely getting tired of Deus Ex Traveler. Like, the, the guy can do whatever and shows up and sets off. He either fixes a plot point or creates a plot point every time he shows up. Yeah, he's just getting tiring. Um, he, So, that's like the end of that scene. And then pretty much just like that's kind of the end of the issue. It, like, there's, like, one little part where, like, um, so Mr. Locker is the defense attorney, and there's just a little moment where it's, like, you know, he gave this apparently really good defense attorney speech, like, for his opening <laughs> statement. But then, like, when he's on the bench with, like, who he thinks is Peter Parker, they have this moment where it's, like, oh, clearly this is just, like, a lawyer being a lawyer. Like, he doesn't oh, okay. actually care about his client. He's just doing whatever. And so you think, like, oh, maybe that'll be, like, a thing. Maybe that'll be, like, you know, an interesting plot device. So there's, like, a little bit of hope. And then, um, spoiler alert, they do nothing with that. And it's kind of lame. Um, and then it just ends with, like, Mary Jane being called as, like, the first witness and Spider-Man, Kane, and Judas have teleported somewhere. That's pretty much it. Interesting. I guess I probably should have stated this earlier. Uh, I have not read this story before, so I have oh. no idea what's happening either. I, I, this is one. Of, this is the first time where I may have read parts of some of your previous story. I've never read this one, so yeah. I mean, this is it's an interesting way to set things up. This is sort of, I mean, this is. This is definitely like act one of a yeah, story. Yeah, I definitely like I I definitely continued immediately to the next issue because I was like, I wanna know what's going on. Like, am I gonna learn where these people teleported or is it gonna be just trial stuff? Like, what is it gonna be? So right. like 
even though I was kind of annoyed with Judas Traveler showing up, like they did make for like a good cliffhanger. Um, especially having like Mary Jane be like the first witness. So, but then there were other parts where I was like, ah, they just like totally dropped what could have been a cool fight scene. Right. And, but otherwise, like, I don't know. Overall, like I was, I was content. It was a fast read. I was fine. So that's, that's cool. Uh, It's going to pick up immediately where this one left off pretty much in Amazing Spider-Man number 403. It's called Savage Judgment, Trial of Peter Parker, Part 2. The writer is J.M. Matias. The penciler is Mark Bagley. The inkers are Larry Malstead and Sam De La Rosa. The letterer is Bill Oakley. Colorist is Bob Sharon. And the editor is Danny Fingeroth. What a time. Uh, so again, it's just going to pick up pretty much where uh, Judas, Spider-Man, and Kane teleported to. Wait, which, actually, bef- before yeah. you go any further, I just wanted to point something out because it's something that I hadn't really thought of before. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Amazing Spider-Man 403, which means that it has only been three issues in Amazing Spider-Man since Aunt May died. Yeah. And think of how much we have covered since then. If imagine if somebody was exclusively reading Amazing Spider-Man. Right. That is insane. Holy cow. No, this is this is Marvel went bankrupt not too long after this. And yeah. I can see why. <laughs> well, you're definitely going to see why or I think, you know, what started snowballing that. Right. Because I, what a time. That's all I can say. I can't even finish the sentence. I can only say, what a time. Um, but it, it pretty much picks up right where Spider-Man, Kane, and Judas have teleported to, which is the sub-basement of Ravencroft, where now Spider-Man is standing on his own trial for his life. The so Judas Traveler essentially I'm going to set the whole scene. Judas Traveler has set up a courtroom scene where the prosecutor is Carnage. <laughs> Great. <laughs> You've got a jury of like Shriek and like all of these Ravencroft like patients they're all super villains you've got a couple doctors like held against their will because they have to be there like dr kafka and then the defense attorney for spider-man is kane oh my god so this is just a nightmare uh spider-man has this is another one of Judas's like plans that to me make no sense. This just felt really annoying. <laughs> it was honestly, it is an interesting concept to be trapped with like a bunch of villains. I like having a bunch of villains like in a fun special thing. Like I don't, I don't mind it. There's definitely times where I can tell that like um, I feel like I either really okay. Hold on. 
I need to gather my thoughts because my brain's on fire from this. Um, I either love or hate massive amounts of villains in one issue or storyline. There. It's got to be done well. Um, I think, like, the long Halloween run did a really cool... That's the cool... first thing I thought of. <laughs> I feel like people are slowly going to get really tired of me bringing up the long Halloween, but like, look, I haven't read nearly as done really well. I I just really like it. It's really good. And it's one of the, I, you know, I haven't read an encyclopedia amount of comic books, but like, I'm glad that I read that one because it's a nice one to reference. Um, but I thought the way that they like, they had a lot of villains, but it was done in a very like, well-paced, tasteful way. I really liked that. I also um, think the, the long Halloween does it in a way where it also, it is fleshing out the story in a particular way. You're not only introducing these villains, but, and and usually But it's like around, as the holiday uh, changes, the villain changes, and that's very, like, dynamic and cool. Well, there's that, but there's also, there's a a a, a, a subtextual part of it where the Long Halloween is essentially um, supposed to be kind of like very close to Batman's like first year, right? Mm-hmm. So if you read Batman Year One, that is Batman dealing with mob bosses, and then the Long Halloween is sort of like we're expanding on that, and you're seeing this 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 rogues gallery of villains come in, yeah, and it's sort of like the evolution of I'm having to deal with this craziness. So that I yeah. mean, that makes sense. Spider-Man being forced to, to be put on trial and it being just like these weird, like Spider-Man being put on trial and it being the Sinister Six. Okay. I can kind of buy that. The concept is great. Um, like I would like something like that. And it's kind of like the whole point of the like trial is basically just asking the question like, is Spider-Man's ex- like just sheer existence the whole reason these like supervillains like become supervillains? The Batman question it is like, does Batman make the Joker? And yeah, except it's just with like all of the villains. And I'm like, right. oh, you know, that's like a good question. Like, I I think that could be like a cool, interesting like thing to, you know, explore. So I was really excited to get into it, like all that stuff. Um, and it just kind of goes back real quick, like, as they set up this whole concept to just, like, a very brief interview with Mary Jane at the witness stand. It obviously, like, doesn't help a ton because she cannot share the alibi that, like, he's Spider-Man. Right. And that's pretty much, like, all that happens. It's, like, she doesn't say a ton because she can't. And it's, like where was your husband on the night of these murders? And she's like, I don't know. And then it's like, suspicious, he's a murderer. And it's like, it's just a very lame courtroom. <laughs> um, so then pretty much like the rest of the, the comic issues back at Ravencroft with this other trial situation. Um, and as I said before, Carnage himself you Ali, my cat sneezed. Um, Carnage is the prosecutor. He uses himself as like the first witness 
And the first argument that, like, Spider-Man is the reason that, like, <laughs> they exist. And, okay. Oh, wait, I'm I actually curious. This was, well, I thought this was a bad first argument. <laughs> okay. Because here's the thing. I know that before he was Carnage, he was a serial killer. True. So, like, no. Like, that immediately, like, does not work for this argument. I, I but... He, I guess, he, uh, the ability to get out of prison and kill more people, you could put on Spider-Man. Yes, because the symbiote thing, type. and that is like the first right. thing that he brings up is like if Spider-Man hadn't like introduced him to like the symbiote indirectly, like then he wouldn't be Carnage. But you also just said indirectly, so like I guess that's uh, so yeah, it's indirectly, yeah. and it's also. <laughs> Like, Venom already felt guilty about creating Carnage. Yeah. Venom has taken responsibility for that. And that was, like, literally the first thing that I read in this whole thing. And I remember it because I really liked Venom. <laughs> um, but it's also, like, my guy, you were a serial killer. Bef like, so you were technically a bad guy in this universe before you even got touch of like superpowers which is the defense's argument <laughs> right and so then they get into like a fist fight because like kane made a good argument back being like hey you were a serial killer uh this doesn't work um <laughs> and then like you know the fight gets broken up by judas because he's like i'm strong and it's dumb um there's another like person that gets called to the stand malcolm mcbride who carrion. i guess yeah okay so he was carrion um yeah. he's like a zombie kind of yeah he was cured at this point like he was yeah. just they were like oh no like it sucks that he's going on stand because like he's just starting to get better but his brain is so like malleable right now essentially um and yeah, so that that whole argument doesn't go well for Spider-Man. And then essentially Judas is like, cool, we have enough. Like, jury, do you think he's guilty? And all the jury is bad guys. And they're like, yeah, he's guilty. And Wait, that was it? That, that's <laughs> it. And then Kane is like, wait a minute. <laughs> you can't do that because, like, you need the defense's argument. And they're like, and Judas is like, nope, just execute Spider-Man. And so all the bad guys go after Spider-Man, who, again, I don't think I said it before, but, like, he's kind of paralyzed under, like, magic right now because Judas is Judas. Um, and Kane essentially jumps in front of Spider-Man before he's attacked by any of these bad guys, and he was, and he basically is, like, fighting them off, being like, I would sacrifice myself a thousand times over before you kill Spider-Man. And at that point, yeah, and at that point, like, after Kane gets hit, like, quite a bit, uh, Judas poofs everybody back into their cell magically and is like, all right, my time here is is done. Like, you know, this proved something about what, what kind of person you are, Spider-Man. So, wait, was this was about Spider-Man. The only thing that I can think that was proved was that Kane is not as shitty of a character. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, it, it, the whole thing that Judas is like, oh, well, this proves, like, you know, what kind of, like, good-natured person you are, Spider-Man, because if a bad guy like Kane 
would like, you know, risk his life for you. Clearly there's something good about you. And like you saving me from this weird vortex thing, like has me. No, I'm sorry. That's fucking dumb. (laughs) It was super dumb. I was really annoyed, like reading the end of this. And so like Kane, like, or yeah, Kane is like super weak. And cause he just fought a bunch of bad guys that then like magically got poofed away. Spider-Man is super confused because he's like, what the hell just happened? And then Judas right. Traveler just poofs them back onto the street that they were on in, in the last issue. And then Ugh. also because for this like weird trial scenario that he created, he had given Carnage like extra insight as to like who Spider-Man is. So he poofs all that away. So it's almost like none of this ever happened. It was oh, just a, it Wonderful. almost was like a weird fever dream, except it, it happened and it's just poofed away with magic instead of a coma. It was super dumb. I was super mad. <laughs> like, if it actually went somewhere, I would be like, cool. But we just, it was a whole freaking circle and I didn't like that. Um, but the good news. <laughs> My little treat at the end was Stunner is still on that street. <laughs> still just hanging out. So she's like, great, Kane's back. I'm going to punch him now. But Spider-Man, great. having just seen the fact that this man was willing to sacrifice himself a thousand times over, is like, no, don't punch him. And then that's like how it ends. Um, I don't know how to feel fully about that whole issue because it's like I found the concept to be really cool and interesting and I thought it was a good question but I feel like they just executed it with like the shittiest examples for that debate and then they poofed it all away right see a a, a competent right I'm not saying J.M. DiMatteis is not a competent writer because I've liked other stuff that he's done right I, I genuinely like him. I think that a, a competent writer with a good editor, I think we're missing a couple of parts here. <laughs> I also um, just feel like these people have never actively watched like a court drama or... Well, here, here's how you get drama out of the situation. All right, you can have the villains be part of this trial. That's totally fine. Having a villain be the defense... Uh, of Spider-Man. Also great idea. Maybe having a good guy lead the prosecution uh, would also be interesting. And yeah. Or like, have... don't paralyze and like, mute your Spider-Man character. Well, that too. Have the the people that you're bringing in, ha- have the witnesses that are on, on, on the stand, have them be people who are good guys that are forced to uh, come to terms with sometimes Spider-Man does the bad thing. Yeah. That is an interesting way of running this trial instead of just having bad guys get up and say, hey, I don't like him. Here's why. Who gives a shit? And it was only two bad guys. Right. You can, Like, I th- feel oh. like this could have been it, like what is like juxtaposition with the actual trial going on. Yes. And then you get two different interesting, like, arguments going on. But that's, like, not... That's not the direction that they are going. Um, and I guess that's 
the direction that they went because this all happened in friggin' 1994 or whatever. Um, <laughs> so on we go <laughs> <laughs> to Spider-Man number 60. It is called The Face of Kane. So by this title, I'm like, ooh, we're getting somewhere. And maybe we will. I don't know. Um, perhaps, perhaps we'll see a face. Some context. Would love some context. Let's see if I got what I wanted. Um, the writer is Howard Mackey. The penciler is Tom Lyle. Inkers are Scott Hanna and Joseph Rubenstein. Also a very great last name. I love a Ruben. Um, letterers are Richard Starkings. And uh, I also saw that, like, comic craft was credited so comic craft is richard starking's company oh okay it's one of those weird things where it's usually accredited to both of them uh comic craft is still around by the way also great company you can get a lot of cool uh, like tips from them you can get a lot of cool fonts from them they do a really good job cool genuinely like i just didn't know what that was um but shout out to comic craft the colorist is Kevin Tinsley, and then the editor is Danny Fingeroth. Again, picking up immediately where we left off. That is one thing that I like about this storyline, is it just keeps streamlining, you know, in chronological order of events. That's good. Easy to read. This is a good, quick storyline to read. Um, so, Stunner is has pinned a very weak and almost unconscious Kane up against a wall, and she is ready to smash his face in with her fists. Uh, he is very weak, obviously, because Judas just used him like a little marionette. And Spider-Man is trying to stop her because he still needs Kane alive to save Riley from prison. Also, Spider-Man is just never like, yeah, kill them, that's fine. Um, but because obviously one person wants someone to die and the other person doesn't, it turns into a very like odd three-way fight with Spider-Man trying to stop two bad guys from killing each other. And the fight ends with Stunner. She like knocks over the support column of a building and then there's all this rubble everywhere. Spider-Man goes to, like, collect her from the rubble, but she just, like, vanishes into the mist, which is, like, a very bizarre thing. I don't know if that's supposed to allude to the fact that it was actually Mysterio, but it also didn't really look like Mysterio mist. Well, if you... So if you remember when she was first introduced, there was a point where she was talking to Dr. Octopus, and she was like, I have to go, and he asks her not to, and then she's just gone. Like that there's no mystery or anything. She's before, just before in like a really brief thing. And it almost just felt like it was incorrect because it was like, or maybe I just thought she was on a different street than she actually was. So mm-hmm. she just vanishes sometimes. Right. Okay. Uh, which we will eventually find out why. Okay. I mean, like it would be cool. To, to get to know to find this is, out this is one of those things where they're, they're setting up it's sort of like with Kane we're going to do some weird stuff and you're going to wonder why and the whole point of you uh, continuing to read further is to f- see if you can f- uh, 
finally get an answer as to why. They are hinting at something, but they yeah. haven't told you anything. They're also hinting kind of badly. Yeah, it's just like kind of like, oh, that's a weird thing anyway. Because there's just too much otherwise plot happening. Too much plot otherwise happening. I don't know what words are, apparently. Why? <laughs> what is the time? Um, so, you know, he tries to find Stunner. She vanishes into mist. Um, so then instead of, like, you know, wondering too much about that, Spider-Man really quickly catches up with Kane, who is trying to run away because he doesn't, you know, want to com- he doesn't want to confess. Um, Spider-Man tries, like, one more time to persuade Kane to just, like, go peacefully. And when Kane refuses, Spider-Man surprise punches him out cold. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that kind of fixes it. Cool. And then he just, he wraps him up in a web and then swings away with him. Cool. Good stuff. Now we're at the courthouse and the prosecutor is making yet another argument, but suddenly, you know, this whole scene is interrupted by a loud noise that is just outside, which we find out it is Spider-Man with Kane. Kane is now awake. He breaks free from the webs. He's fighting off Spider-Man because he doesn't want to go in the courtroom and Spider-Man is like, you gotta tell the truth. Um, And essentially Kane is like, you can't handle the truth. In this, oh, like, it, it is a time. Um, so they keep fighting and fighting, and, like, Kane is monologuing about how he's everything he has done has always been for Peter, and, like, Peter just doesn't understand, and, or, like, Spider-Man just doesn't understand, but he's pretty much just calling him Peter at this point. Um, like, because it, it's still just the two of them. There's no, like, real audience members of this fight yet. It's still outside the courtroom. Um, and Spider-Man kind of is like, what do you mean? Like, you literally have, like, murdered people. You are a supervillain. And Kane is offended by this because he's like, you know, how do you not understand? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so then finally, like, Kane stops fighting. And he's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to help Ben Riley. He doesn't deserve help. Like, he should be, like, you know, sent to the electric chair and all this stuff. And it's all to reveal Kane taking off his mask. And he is the first Peter Parker clone. Context. Beep, beep. Um, so basically what has happened is that Kane, you know, he's got the long hair and he takes off the mask and it's pretty much like a Peter Parker face, but half of it is like very veiny and like kind of like, you know, a little deformed. So they say he kind of just looks like the Phantom of the Opera version of Peter Parker. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I have like, Austin as a fiance. Uh, anytime you want to make a reference to Phantom of the Opera, I'm probably going to get where you're going with hell it. Hell yeah. I love Phantom of the Opera. She um, will drive down the road with the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack playing. Like that's what she. Should. Yeah. As, as everyone should. Um, but yeah, so he's got Phantom of the Opera face. It's fine. Um, 
basically, he says that, like, Warren tried to, or, like, the jackal tried to kill him when it didn't, when the experiment didn't work out, but Kane got away. And because he's, like, the first trial run, some of his powers changed, which somehow made him, like, really, like, souped up and, like, stronger. And he is frame. The reason he originally wanted to frame Ben Riley for these murders of like these villains is so that Peter's life wouldn't be like intruded on again, because he sees Ben Riley as like this well, good obstacle. Fucking job, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like my guy, <laughs> you didn't do this well at all. Also, if you're, like, okay, if that's, like, really what you wanted to do. And I guess it's, like, he wanted to get rid of the supervillains because they're in, they're in the way of, like, Peter having, you know, like, a wife, you know, because he's constantly, like, leaving to go fight them or whatever. And, but, like, why didn't you also just kill Ben (laughs) Riley? I guess maybe he couldn't. I don't, I don't know. know. But it's like, wouldn't you understand that it's like, as far as I know, like, I know that Ben Riley like, has an apartment, but, like, he's not really, like, on the grid. Like... That's the other thing. This, this, Because I mean, if he I guess, was, like, his fingerprints also would have come up in the whole search. That's what, what I'm thinking of here So, is, like, clearly he has no, like, record or ID. Like, he's not in the books. The only person that would be in the books of anything official would be Peter Parker. So it's right. like... This whole this, thing falls apart if you are... I, I, I can kind of understand... If you think about it a second too long, the whole thing falls apart. You have to take it specifically from face value like 10 feet away from you. It's- I, can, <laughs> I can kind of understand this being the early 90s or mid 90s, I guess at this point, where the maybe the, the police departments aren't necessarily working together. It's not a national database. That kind of works out a little bit. But then you still have to get this guy who looks like Peter Parker arrested, put in prison, and hope no one ever notices anything weird about any of it. It's a dumb thing. Just fucking kill him. Grab a sniper rifle or something. This is why I'm saying it's starting to enter. Reason number one why it's starting to enter the soap opera vibes. Well, this is the I have an evil twin. Yeah. This whole thing. I love a good soap opera. It's one of the reasons I like the X-Men. But like yeah. there it's gotta be done in a particular way. I can still watch a soap opera and be into what's going on and think it works. Uh and then and and and, enjoy, and actually enjoy the plot, you know? Yeah. It's a it's a time. So yeah. Spider-Man hears, like, this whole confession and everything. He sees the face and, like, you know, he uh, he understands that, like, he is the first clone and, like, that's a lot to go through. But he's still on the firm belief that, like, an innocent man should not be charged with somebody else's crimes. And he kind of Controversial is... Controversial stance. I mean. <laughs> but, so he's kind of just, like, well you know, knowing that Ben Riley is a clone also, like, there's some 
you know, shouldn't there be some like kinship to that? Wouldn't you want to help like, you know, because this is like, you know, a whole group now. This is a whole community. Wouldn't you want to like, you know, do right by this person that you are actually super connected to? And Kane is like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, Ben Riley is always in Peter Parker's way. And this eventually leads to Spider-Man being like, well, if you're not going to confess that you did it, I'm going to tell everybody that, you know, Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And that therefore gives Peter Parker an alibi. And him being there is the evidence you know, and then they go yes. into the whole cloning thing and, and and that'll be it. And Kane understands that, like, if he does that, then, like, a lot of Peter Parker's life is then just, like, really messed up because now he's, like, publicly known as a superhero. So Spider-Man, like, enters the courtroom finally and he's like, I've got a confession to make. Like, you know, this man obviously didn't do it because and he's about to take off his mask and like show a bunch of people that he's Peter Parker but then Kane bursts through and he's like no I did it I'm the murderer he <laughs> cuz he just really doesn't want like Peter Parker's life to get messed up he really just wants Ben Riley gone so he confesses to the murder he leaves like you know like evidence because he puts his he leaves like the mark of cane on like a table. So I guess they can look at the fingerprints off the table and be like, oh my gosh, they're a match. Yeah. Um, and then right as like the police are about to take him into custody, Kane makes a leap for like Ben Riley one more time. Oh my god. He's like, I'll just I'll just kill you now. <laughs> it's like, oh wow. If only you had thought of that for yourself so long ago. Right. Um and that's pretty much how that issue ends. And guess what? We're going to pick up immediately where it ended. In Spectacular Spider-Man number 226. Wow, wow, wow. We're almost done. This is part four of four. Um, the writer is Tom DeFalco. And the penciler is Sal Buscema. Buscema. I think it's Buscema. Sorry, I said it wrong the first time. Anchor is Bill Sinkiewicz? Sinkiewicz. Sinkiewicz. Fuck. Keep doing that. Let me start over. The anchor is Bill Sinkiewicz. The letterer is Clem Robbins. Colorist is John Calise. And the editors are Eric Fine and Danny Fingerup. All right. Here we go. This is the final part of the trial of Peter Parker. A fight breaks out in the courtroom. Kane makes a jump for Ben Riley, who is publicly right now known as Peter Parker. He basically, like, he makes sure he says the right thing so the crowd thinks he's attacking Peter Parker, but Kane knows that he's, like, attacking Ben Riley. <laughs> he does not manage to get a hand on Ben Riley, who is still, he plays the Peter Parker role literally up until, like, him and Mary Jane walk through the doors of her home. 
I'm just right. saying that now, so I don't have to repeat it. He's playing the Peter Parker role. He's not put on the Scarlet Spider suit whatsoever. He is playing it cool for the sake of Mary Jane's family. Kane never lays like a punch on um, Peter Parker slash Ben Riley. Ben Riley. Yeah, Ben Riley incognito as Peter Parker. Um, just, you know, because Spider-Man fights him off a little bit and then Detective Raven eventually, like, steps in and, like, officially there's an arrest and just, like, Kane gives up. And, which, honestly, I was glad that, like, Detective Raven was made, able to make the arrest, like, properly because it gives him some, like, character satisfaction. So I was yeah, really happy Yeah, that's cool. That. Yeah. Apparently, Ken Ellis was at the courtroom, so he reports to the Daily Bugle that Peter Parker is innocent and they all celebrate. Great stuff. Um, We have a quick scene at the Jackal's lab where there is P-3PO and the Jackal. And P-3PO sees the news that Parker is free and he is like, you know, very angry about this because he hates Peter and he hates Ben Riley and the Jackal. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. Um, because he is currently working on uh his his carrion virus. That's how it's pronounced. Carrion. Yeah. Okay. So he's like updating the carrion virus. And we're like, oh, spooky, I guess. Um Kane, he is properly interrogated and he confesses to multiple murders, including the murder of Raven's uh, partner. So, again, you know, he didn't show up like a whole, uh, he didn't show up as much as I thought he would in this like story, but I'm glad still that that character got. I'm, I'm genuinely liking how this is wrapping up. Yeah, like, I, don't I know, think it's it's doing like it kind of a reading. season finale typical wrap up, and that's how it yeah. felt like it was reading, and I was happy with that. Um, I really did like Detective Raven. I just wish that there was more of him as like an interesting standpoint because I feel like it would have made the of, whole. He, he if he had like more of a character instead of uh, instead of just quick weird cameo scenes you know no i i get you because like i did when he was introduced i i did care about the fact that his partner was gone and that he had a chance to solve the murder but then he was gone for so long up until pretty much like amazing spider-man 400 yeah and then i was like oh he's back like okay um so i just wish there was more of him but I'm very happy that like he got his ending. Yeah. Checks out. No, I'm I'm in, I'm in, I'm enjoying this so far. Yeah. Um. So Kane, he um is getting wheeled away to Rikers Island, and he does have a another vision while he's in chains of uh, Mary Jane's death. Is oh, coming yeah. up. I thought, dun, dun, dun. I, I, I was actually just thinking about that, and I was like, I wonder like what we're gonna do with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Ben and Mary Jane have made it to the Parker house. They had to to walk home or they had to drive home or walk home together because like the media is following them around being like, he's free. Peter Parker's free. And then finally, when they get inside, they're like, 
kind of like, wow, I can't believe we had to like do that all the way home. Like, that's so crazy. But they meet Peter at the house, which is great. So now it's the three of them. The The house phone rings and it is Dr. Trainer, And he calls to just be like, I have news about more test results. So now the three of them arrive at his lab. Now, this is the first time that Peter is meeting Dr. Trainer. Right. Um, he's very aware that it is it is his first time meeting him. Um, it was kind of mentioned before from Mary Jane's perspective a couple issues ago, like when she was first getting tests done, that he's kind of a very like cold man. Yeah. Just very like, I'm a scientist. Um, and Peter doesn't feel really comfortable around him. He feels kind of weird. Mm-hmm. He feels kind of weird that it's just like some guy that Ben Riley is friends with, because apparently we're back to being skeptical about Ben Riley. Um, <laughs> which was starting to feel weird for me when the, when that thought bubble came up. But Dr. Trainer starts off by saying, like, the baby is healthy. Like, so we're like, yay, the baby's healthy. But it's also, why would you bring people to your lab if you just wanted to say, like, your baby's healthy? That seems weird. That's because he has more to say. Um, The doctor says that he has found a genetic drift. He doesn't say exactly what a genetic drift is. He just says that there is one. Well, a genetic drift is an actual thing. So I'm curious to hear Yes. Well, I'll I'll continue while you find out what that means. But the doctor believes that this genetic drift could possibly be because the father is a clone. And Peter gets upset by this. He is like, we have already decided. (laughs) Like, we have already settled this. Like, Ben Riley is the clone. I am real. Everything is fine. Like, this is just another kind of, like, jackal-adjacent, like, trick. Like, it's just people trying to mess with me again. And Trainer is like, well, why don't you, the two of you take a bunch of tests, like, blood tests and stuff, together and see what comes out. And, like, Parker is like, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to leave. And, but Mary Jane grabs him and is like, no, just do it. Like, do it for me, like, do it for our baby, do it for yourself to just, like, get to the bottom of it. And he's like, fine. So they have, like, a little test montage. And it comes back that the the test results are exactly the same. But for some reason, it is then written in dialogue that Ben Riley is like, the tests are exactly the same. Like, I'm so very, very sorry, but this means that I am like the real Peter Parker. Okay. And that doesn't make sense. (laughs) If they were exactly the same, then I feel like that would mean that they're both clones. No? I mean, I... All of this kind of doesn't make sense because wouldn't they? It would be genetically the same regardless. Uh, I like don't if like clones. 
Also, so a genetic drift is in context of, uh, of, of, well, I, I guess it's like more of a population thing. So it's when you have like alleles that mutate over time, mm-hmm. uh, and they go in one direction and it sort of overtakes, uh, a generation of these, um, uh, uh, of a population. So it, 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 it continues evolution to form a mutation. Right. Right. Um, there's also like a genetic shift where it's just sort of like how genes are read. Um, like think it, something will be read a little, uh, differently by, uh, like the, on the chromosome or something. Right. And it just kind of moves it down. And sometimes it, doesn't really add to anything or take anything away. And sometimes it really messes up the DNA. Um, so that doesn't really make sense in this context, but okay, whatever. We're going to pseudoscience. It's fine. Yeah. And I mean, like, the pseudoscience is not what bothers me. Like, sure, if you need to explain away the father being a clone, that's fine. Um, the test results are what bother me because they confuse the shit out of me now. Like, you're going to tell me they're exactly the same, but now you're going to tell me that Ben Riley is the real Peter Parker. Yeah. Now, my brain hurt from hearing this, but guess what? Our Peter Parker's brain really hurt from hearing this. Far more than I mine ever could. And he snaps. And he is like, you are straight up fucking with me. You're just being another, like you know, another Judas, another Cain, another Jackal. And he's like, I've had enough of this. I'm tired. He literally says, I'm tired of being everyone's patsy. And I thought that was really <laughs> funny. Um, and he like, he jumps at Ben Riley. Right. Now. Okay. I mean, like. Now, I I'm want not, you. I'm not that surprised. <laughs> no, I'm not that surprised either. Because honestly, like, this man has been through a lot. Like. I know he isn't always the best husband, but he has been through a lot. And, like, I would want to punch someone, too. I want you to guess, though, what do you think, based on what we have learned about Ben Riley and how he has, like, behaved, how do you think he reacts to that? So, if I, if I were to write this, and just based off the character that I know of Ben. Yes. The way that I would write it is that he would refuse to believe it because he's he is in the past. This has been a thing that has come up and he has said, no, like it, like I've already lived this way. I am this other person. I've come to terms with this. It doesn't matter. You yeah. know what I mean? Like whatever this thing says. Yeah. And like maybe when Peter like jumps at him it's more of like specifically being defense oh yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. so that's not what happens um (laughs) instead and this is like this is what really like made me like unhappy with like the story um yeah because i was enjoying this so far i mean we had that weird middle piece but like we literally like lose all of that growth. Yeah. He's literally, he's now suddenly like fighting hard back at, I'm still going to call him Peter Parker because that's just what we've called well, him I mean, this ben, entire ben time. Ben has been living as Ben. 
And Ben Riley has been living as friggin' Ben Riley. But now he's going with the whole, like, oh my God, you took five years of my life. Like, now I want it. But it, Peter And didn't. they are straight like, up not, punching like each other in this laboratory. Oh. And now Mary Jane is like, oh my God, I'm pregnant with a clone, <laughs> with a clone baby. And she, she sees these two fighting and Dr. Trainer is like, don't go in there. <laughs> like, don't get close to them. And she's like, no, I have to break this fight up. And she tries to break the fight up. She goes to, to Peter, like yeah. her, who we have perceived as her Peter Parker this whole time. Um, but because he is just in blind fury and throwing punches, he accidentally hits her. And then he stops and he's like, oh my God, what have I done? And out of just like shock and shame and like fear and all these things, he just like straight up runs away because he's like, oh my God, I just hit my wife. Um, and she's like, oh my God, please come back. <laughs> yeah. And oh, quit, like, quit running away from, <laughs> from, from me, please. It's insane. And then it ends, the whole thing ends with the jackal saying everything is going to plan. And you think like, oh my God, he's talking about like this whole like thing. But then he holds up like a vial of like his virus. And he's like, soon like, you know, clones are going to be taken over the whole globe. And that's like how it ends. And I'm like this, I'm I was God, that is such a silly... This, You know what? That is on uh, par with... I don't know if you saw uh, The Amazing Spider-Man with... uh, Oh, what is his name? I'm going to forget his name now. Andrew Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Yeah. The one with the lizard. Did you see that one? Uh, I saw the first movie, I think. Yeah. That's the one with the lizard. I don't know if you remember the lizard's big plan in that movie. But, no. but essentially it is, I'm going to create this big laser that is somehow, that shoots up into the sky and it's somehow going to turn everyone in New York into lizards. And that's kind of fun though. <laughs> that, but that is way more fun than like something about like, I'm going to turn everyone into clones. Who gives a shit? They're acting like clones are a different species or some. Who cares if you're a clone or not? You're like, you are a person. Yeah. You lived up to a certain point in your, your brain is convinced you lived up to a certain point as someone else, but you are a, a living creature still that is, that is maybe not under the law, but you would, you're still a living person that can be treated like a living person. Yeah. I don't get I don't this. Know. I don't understand. A, I don't care. I am most mostly just disappointed in what they just did to Ben Riley. Oh. Uh well. I don't want to say too much. But don't yes. yeah, don't. <laughs> I'm sure my opinion will change. I have no idea. I'm I'm bummed. I feel like that was such a shitty turn. Like, because, like, yes, he has spent, like, a lot of time with, like, Mary Jane in recent until he switched and literally went to prison. Yeah. Um, But I felt like the way they were writing it was, like, they were just making a nice friendship 
And it was like, oh, maybe like after this, Ben Riley will be able to be his own individual, but maybe he won't have to like totally avoid his like, you know, his Peter Parker. Yeah, maybe they can be friends. Maybe they can work together. And then you have these cool, like, you know, duo buddy cop comic kind of thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe like, you know, whatever happened to him really liking Betty Brandt? Where did that uh, go? The lady that that lived next to him. Yeah. What what happened to them? Why does it have to be like everybody thinking that like they just want to sleep with like a pregnant Mary Jane because it's like it wasn't written that he was like falling in love with her or anything it was just like I think there was one comment made in his like inner thoughts where he was like oh wow like Peter's got a really good thing going for him yeah like I would like something like that but it was never like I want specifically that like Mm. it's 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 annoying i was annoyed um overall though quick read um interesting concepts i think if you're gonna title something the trial of peter parker i would (laughs) have wanted more dynamic and like interesting uh courtroom scenes there's a way to do that i have read it plenty of times and like I don't know, like, they don't, like, they're always talking about how, like, the evidence is so gruesome and these murders are so grisly and, like, terrible and all this stuff. And it's like, well, why don't you talk about that, like, a little more? I understand that, like, this is, like, you know, an all-ages, like, comic maybe, but it's, like, you can still get into more details of the crime and, like, finding it out without, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just so, like, it was such blanket statements, and it really made the scenes boring. I genuinely thought when you started with Spider-Man being put on trial that the the title of, like, the trial of Peter Parker was going to end up being more about Spider-Man being put on trial in a different and have that be sort of like a fun little thing but that was such yeah. a quick moment that they it got was such rid a, of like literally it was just a circle yeah and it just ended up where it started and so like i don't know i felt like reading it i would get hyped up and then i would get let down and it just kind of kept happening yeah well i have some trivia if you want uh okay <laughs> okay so if uh, I'm going to be quoting again from Life of Riley, I, I took some stuff from there that I thought was the more relevant stuff. And a lot of these are all quotes from editor Glenn Greenberg. So that's that's more of what I'm going to be reading. There's other stuff that was there that I think you and I can talk about at another time. But this mm-hmm. is what's going to be the most relevant to what you just read. Mm-hmm. So. This is, again, a quote from editor Glenn Greenberg. If memory serves, it was Howard Mackey who first came up with the idea of Kane. But it was J.M.D. Matias who really fleshed out and developed the character. D. Matias had a uh, a real fondness for Kane, and it showed. Whoever Kane appeared, or, sorry, whenever Kane appeared in a D. Matias story, there was a depth and three-dimensional quality to him that was just not there in other writers' stories. And I, 
I don't uh, agree. I think I think JMD Matias may have done some more interesting stuff with Kane, but like, over, I never felt like Kane was a three dimensional character at all. I just felt like he was perpetually owling. Th- yeah, there was just that. Um, but also, Greenberg continued. Oh, go ahead. Also, the writer for the face of Kane, where we get literally the most context. And like the most information and the biggest plot shift about Kane, uh, the writer is Howard Mackey. Right. Well, he's I mean, the I, one can, that is I think like, for Greenberg, he's talking about leading up to this. JMD Matias did more, but I feel like Kane didn't do a lot in any of the, the rest of what we read. So regardless, there's no there's no three dimensional character there until you get more information about. Like, I don't know. Well, I'm so Green- under, like, I I had a feeling from the beginning that, like, he was a clone. Yeah. And, like, also, okay, so Kane has, like, the all blue veiny costume, whatever. Yes. I thought that was just his face and his body, but that's a mask. If you go back, and this was a thing that I had uh, some questions about. Because if you go back, there are some scenes where it's clearly shown to be a mask. And there are some scenes where, like, he can open his mouth and you see his teeth. And that's where, like, earlier episodes, I was like, I don't understand this Well, I always just thought, like, that his face was kind of Dementor style, where it was just, yeah. like, featureless because of, like, you know, the the science experiment gone horribly wrong, and so now he just has no face at all, like Slenderman or whatever. Yeah. Like, well, I had no inkling that this was a mask. I was like, his hair just grown out of his blue head. Like, that's all. That's genuinely all I thought. And that f- he just ran around, like, Venom style. Yeah. As like a, a, a goopy veiny man who just happened to put a purple cape on for flair. <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, I have some information there because Greenberg continues and saying, and here's a few things you probably didn't know about Kane. First, that weird costume of his was actually a life support outfit that stabilized the debilitating effects of cellular degeneration. Kane lived in constant pain, and that would only get worse as time went on, but the outfit slowed down the the degeneration and prolonged his life. Which is interesting. We wouldn't have known that unless you literally, like, unless you literally read that quote, though. He goes on, second, all of Kane's powers were enhanced versions of Peter's powers. It was well established in the stories that Kane was physically stronger than Peter, and he was clearly much taller and more massive. But the infamous mark of Kane burned that he left on faces of his victims was just a greatly enhanced version of the stick to walls ability that Peter possesses in his hands and feet. And the future visions that Kane experienced from time to time, including the relentless visions of Mary Jane's death, were simply a much stronger, stronger version of Peter's spider sense. So that's interesting, too. But he continues on, ironically enough, as Mark Bernardo, even to this day, has never failed to point out, 
none of the spider writers ever managed to work any of this information into the actual stories. No, none of them did. And honestly, like, if you had worked some kind of, like, you don't even know what the mark of Cain really is. Because you could say it's a burn, but it doesn't look like a burn. It looks like an acid. It looks, like, just veiny. Like... You could have told me that, like, the mark of Cain is, like, him putting his hand on you and then a bunch of, like, bugs or parasites are inserted inside of you and then they just, like, do some shit. Right. Like, you could have told me that and I would have been like, yeah. Checks Um, out. But, like, imagine if you knew what those wounds were. How much more interesting and more terrifying the murders would have been. Yes. There would have been such a better, like, thriller horror effect if we knew what that was. Like, all the way from the beginning of, like, when you meet Detective Raven. Like, instead of just being like, my partner was murdered. You could be like, my partner was murdered, but it wasn't an ordinary, like, you know, wasn't just Their like, face a stab was, like, wound. burned. And they face died. was like incinerated or it was just yeah, like, yeah. you know, just something. And like, ugh, I'm so mad. <laughs> Greenberg continues with Spectacular Spider-Man 226 was, of course, the most pivotal issue of all. And in more ways than one. Yes, it was the issue where Peter found out that he was the clone of Ben, uh, or the clone and Ben was the original. But it was also the issue where Bob Budiansky faced his first real challenge as editor-in-chief of the Spider-Man books. The thing you have to remember when Bob uh, took over is that the Clone Saga did not originate under him. He inherited it when he took over as Spider-Man EIC. And I don't think he ever felt comfortable with the idea of revealing that the Spider-Man we all knew and loved for the previous 20 years had been a clone. But he took over the book so late in the game, and the storyline had been so firmly laid out, that I don't think he felt that he could just make the writers suddenly switch gears and abandon the plans that they had been following for so long. The way I see it, Bob was torn between what he felt in his gut was right for the books and his desire not to mess too much with creative staff who had been there for uh, long before him. Did Bob know in advance that what was going to happen in Spectacular 226? Absolutely. He undoubtedly read the plot when it first came in, and I know for sure that he read the issue once it was completed and that he signed off on it before it shipped. So he approved it, he signed off on it, he let the story run as it was originally written, and as I recall, he immediately regretted it. I remember that he had second thoughts about about it right after the issue left house. He began pondering ways in which the story could be undone without it looking like a total cop-out. Of course, at that point in the game, it would be utterly impossible. The time to undo the story was before it left house. Not after it saw print and the readers essentially had the rug yanked out from under them once already. From that point on, after Tom DeFalco had so dramatically and pretty damn definitively established who was the original and who was the clone, any backtracking would be seen uh, by Marvel as copping out. Marvel bucking un- uh, buckling under pressure from its readers, Marvel not having the guts to stand behind its own stories. Which is true. Like, yeah. There is no way out of this thing that you wrote without having something that you wrote in the very beginning as a thing that you can point to and be like, look, we planned this. Yeah. The only other thing that I'm going to to comment on from here is um, Greenberg continues on about Peter hitting Mary Jane. Right. So, 
Uh, we got some heat over this and some bad publicity, but come on. It's not like Peter Parker was suddenly being presented as a wife beater. Consider the circumstances. Peter was in a, ra- in a rage. His whole world had been turned upside down, and he was in the middle of a brutal fight with the man he believed had just robbed him of his life. Mary Jane was warned by uh, Seward Trainer not to go near them, that Peter and Ben were both out of control, but she ignored Seward and tried to get in the middle of them and stop the fight. She's clearly shown grabbing Peter's arm, and in the next panel, Peter is shown flinging that arm outward to shove her away from him so that he can continue the fight. Yeah. That's how I always interpreted the scene. Peter was so angry, so on the edge, that he wasn't fully aware of what he was doing. Had he been the slightest bit rational at that moment, he surely would have taken into account the fact that he had super strength and that he couldn't just shove a normal human being away like that. I honestly, like, I mean, I agree. Because it's like, the buildup of that scene is like, he very clearly, like, is uncomfortable. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't feel safe. He he feels like he's about to be, like, you know, just turned upside down again. And then it does happen, and he's like, I knew it. These people are just trying to put me in a corner. They're trying to, like, mess with my life. They're trying to hurt me. And so, like, he's gone in full offense mode. And, you know, she is pregnant, and she's... She's a tiny lady. Like, you know, like, I've accidentally, like, you know, booped a person before. And yeah. Obviously, I'm not Spider-Man, and I've I've never been in a fist fight before. But, like, you know, well, there's- it's, it's definitely, like, he did not, like, straight up, like, uppercut her or anything. Like, he, you know. He and the reaction a- afterward, I think, of of being like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that, is yeah. that, like, that, that's an appropriate reaction. Like, you know, it ends the fight because he's just so, like, upset with himself that he has now hurt his wife because of this whole situation. And it's funny because this almost, almost this exact situation happened uh, with Hank Pym in the Avengers comics. And Hank Pym is consistently called out as like being someone who hit his wife and it's like it oh okay i guess but like that's that was not like he didn't go home every night and start hitting her for no reason it was like in the middle of a fight it was pretty much the exact same situation is hank mr fantastic no hank is uh the original ant-man oh so if you if you've watched the ant-man movies i have not He's the old guy that's there. Uh, oh, he's Michael he, Douglas? Yeah, he's Michael oh. Douglas. So, but this is like when when he was younger and he was on the Avengers. Mm-hmm. That was like the thing. And he, like, it's, there are a lot of issues with that particular scene. But it's just funny that, like, he's consistently seen as, like, this horrible person. But it. If you read it, it makes it's very similar to this. There's a lot going on in that scene. Yeah, there's a lot happening. I mean, like, I obviously, like, don't support the fact that, like, these guys fucked around and now, like, you know, this this pregnant woman got physically injured. I think that's right. really shitty. Um, but it was not their, in- it wasn't Peter's intent. No, it was not Peter's intent to hurt his wife. He right. did hurt his wife and he should feel sorry for hurting his wife, but he is not a like 
domestic abuse, like abuser. <laughs> I right. like, I don't think. Um, but yeah, no, I feel really bad for Mary Jane. I'm very worried about her though, still, just because it's like that is a lot. Cause she also just learned that like there's something up with her baby and we are learning new information about the father and her husband. So like it's, it's a time and I, I feel bad for all of the people, primarily her and Peter Parker. And I'm just disappointed in the Ben Riley reaction that they wrote out. I just like, I don't know. The whole thing is like real wild. Um, but it's also just like it it is a shame that it's like they didn't change it before they released it. Oh, yeah. There's uh actually one last thing that I think is kind of it's kind of like a funny uh side effect of that. Mm-hmm. So Greenberg continues saying, again, Bob Budiansky signed off on this issue. It's not like he didn't see the artwork before it was printed. But when Marvel took some heat after the issue came out, Bob's reaction was to get very conservative and skittish about showing anything that could possibly be perceived as violence towards women or even showing women in any sort of jeopardy. Mm -hmm. This completely screwed up a cover for Venom that Tom Brevoort and I had commissioned by artist Kyle Hotz. The cover was uh, for a storyline in which Venom is reunited with his ex-wife, Anne Wang. The illustration depicted Venom looming over Anne with his long tongue wrapped around her. It was romantic in a twisted sort of way. But after Spectacular Spider-Man 226 came out, Bob, who had previously approved the cover, now asked for so many revisions on it uh, after Kyle had finished it and turned it in that we ended up not even using it at all. So I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty interesting. Like it had like reverberating effects on like how the rest of Marvel uh, was handling stuff, or at least under the Spider-Man title umbrella. Hmm. It's just a a, a weird little thing that, like, this eventually ended up changing another story, or at least the cover to a story, because they were like, oh, we we fucked up. And that's another course correction that Marvel was having to make, while at the same time thinking in their heads, how do we reverse this Ben Riley thing? I do think, though... um... Like, obviously, like, you know, it's important to just write good stories. Like, you know, f- make sure your plots make sense. Yeah. But um, I I do like, to an extent, how, you know, this issue has made them think about, like, you know, maybe we should reconsider how we're, the situations we're drawing women in. Yes. And things like that. That I think is like a good thing that has come out of it. Cause sure, maybe this isn't this isn't the most extreme. I think this is a very complicated scene about with with violence of a, a woman in it. But like, you know, I, I'm having, glad that ha- it I having I, it I, be a moment yeah. of introspection, at least. Like there's some there's the silver lining there. Yeah, because I mean, like, I mean, you've you've had your whole episode about like fridging and oh yeah, like you know, women have been depicted in some really shitty scenarios for the sake of a man's plot, and right. I think in a way, like, you know, I don't know what's gonna come of like this whole situation, but like, it does very clearly seem that like, yeah, he hit her, and now he's like 
he's going in a direction with it because a woman got hurt. Um, I don't know how much that would really like count into that category, but it's like it really took his wife to get hit to realize that this situation is crazy. Um, I mean, I guess that would it could be considered part of it would be a minor thing. Like I, I think ass- it would be a minor thing, yeah. Um, but like, because again, just with the context of it, it is like it it is a flinging in the middle of a thing and someone got hit in the crossfire of it. So it's like, you know, like, again, he didn't straight up just like uppercut her or like, you know, front hook. Like it wasn't anything, you know, specifically directed at her. It was an accident. It was an accidental yet violent act. Um, But uh, yeah, I can, I can see why it's like a complicated thing that might've made, that would have probably made like people feel uncomfortable, especially just because we see Mary Jane in this as such like a good and wholesome character. Yeah. And someone who just wants the best and she's been trying so hard to get the best for her family and her family literally like just hit her. Um, yeah, like that, that would really like, I, I would probably have been like an upset fan that like, you know, my character got hit in that way like that really sucks I don't know if I would write letters just because of who I am as a comic reader like I just don't I don't give a lot of feedback too much I guess Mm -hmm. except for if it's the clone saga because that's what we have to do but um um, no I in the end this is such a long-winded way of saying I do appreciate that they are actively trying to think about you know how are women doing? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we will be back uh, next time yeah. with Spider-Man's uh, Lost Years. So hopefully we'll get a little bit more context about some of the stuff that happened here, some of the information that came up. Um, I'm hoping anyway. Yeah. At least that's the plan crossed. for next week. We might, like, Unless we decide to do something like real quick. That's where we're going to go. Uh, you can find more information at comicallypedantic.com. You can also follow us on Instagram by searching at PedanticCast. New episodes come out most Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at comicallypedantic.com. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them in text or audio recording to comicallypedantic at gmail.com. Please indicate you'd like your name or question read on the air. Don't forget, uh, we are we were just guesting on Superhero Cinephiles, so that episode's out right now. If you want to hear our thoughts on Power Rangers, uh, from 2017, I believe. 2017. Yeah. Uh, we also uh, still own fuckcomicsgate.com if you'd like to send a donation to the Games and Online Harassment Hotline. We will be back soon with another deep dive into the world of comics, but until then, you can find more exciting adventures at your local comic shop. 